compassion uh, as well. And uh, at the end of that, they were talking about transforming the life of the child. You're transforming the life of its family and its community, but you're actually also transforming the life of future generations. You know, God willing, when Ronnie has his children, you know, what a difference the, the opportunities that they will have transformed in the name of Jesus uh, compared to the, you know, the option before he was sponsored by Compassion. It is really, really an amazing, amazing charity. Tom, can you just put the slides on, please? Thank you. When I actually, uh, a number of you might know, uh, a number of years ago, I actually went to climb Kilimanjaro in aid of Compassion. I um, uh, climbed Kilimanjaro for Compassion along with 13 other people. And it was an amazing experience. You know, not only did we get the T-shirts, we got the certificates, but we actually got the opportunity to go and see the work of Compassion. Uh, and unfortunately, I haven't got time to share all that with you today. We went to school. We went to the home of someone in Compassion. We saw four students uh, and heard their testimonies that had gone through that whole process and went through university and got full-time education. Totally amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Definitely, uh, definitely, you know, you know, if you're thinking about it, you know, follow through and do it. It's brilliant. Um, and when we were at, when we actually went to the school. Uh, I was actually, I came away with this verse. I was going to, I won't read it all, but this is the key passage. Isaiah 41, 10. Um, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is was spoken directly to me, and uh, something happened to me on the mountain, which, come, out, come and talk to me afterwards, I'll share it with you. But this was a key passage for me. So when Jonathan asked me to just wind this service up at the end, you know, 10, 15 minutes, I thought this is the obvious thing to talk about. Um, And there's many reasons why I actually climbed uh, Kilimanjaro, um, and I haven't got time to share them all, um, but I'm going to just share one of them. Uh, One of them was uh, our previous pastor, Chris Newton, did a, a service, and he was talking about actively and fruitfully being involved in God's service. And at the end, his challenge was, are you actively uh, and fruitfully involved in the service of the Lord? And if you are, fantastic. Keep it up, Chris said. And Chris went on to say, well, if you're not, well, what can you do about it to change that? And it hit me like a ton of bricks uh, where I was and my particular journey at that point in time. And that was one of the reasons I went to, uh, to, to, to Kilimanjaro. Um, and had a, a life-changing experience. I will never forget that day uh, when we uh, had we saw the work of compassion in the schools, in the homes, and through those uh, those students. Um, it was uh, truly amazing and an inspiration to actually climb Kilimanjaro because boy, was it tough! Uh, but it was it was fantastic. So you know, I just want to challenge you. You know, wherever you are on your journey today, you know, are you fruitfully and actively involved in the Lord's work? And if you are, fantastic. Keep it up. But if you're not, have you got an opportunity to do something different? And it doesn't matter how old you are. The oldest person to have climbed Kilimanjaro was 84, and he did it four years ago. And the youngest person was eight. You know, so don't worry about your age. You know, you can get up and do these things. Uh, you absolutely can. And they are really life-changing opportunities. And we're so blessed as a church 
in all the areas that we have to do something with. You know, if you want to do something mini-mission-wise or get involved, we've got loads of things to do. And these are just a small sample of opportunities that you have. You know, closer to home, mums and tots on Thursdays. You know, the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, you've actually got holiday at home you could actually get involved in. You have prison ministry. You have redeeming our communities. You have Oasis in Gorton. Further afield, Peter and Dower, Sally and Yagya in Nepal. They would love to uh, host you, to show you the work that those guys actually do over there. Pastor John in the Philippines would love to see you, as would the community over there as well. Mercy Ships, Tanzania, Brian and Angie Savage. And there's lots and lots of other things that people here are involved in. And would you have opportunities to help and support those people in that, to do God's work here in Lim, in Manchester, or somewhere in the world. And as the mission deacon here uh, at the church, I would wholeheartedly help you and support you in, in that, as would the, the rest of the church. So please come and see me if you're interested. So the term Kilimanjaro, uh, actually it's believed to, uh, to be, uh, the, the description is Mount of Greatness. It's two words, Kilma, mountain, and Najaro, of greatness. And many times in the Bible, there are places that represent deeper concepts. You know, for example, if you hear the words Sodom and Gomorrah, you probably, what will spring to your mind is immorality. And I'd like to us to think about a couple of significant uh, mountains in the Bible. I'm only going to shortcut it to two. Um, and the deeper meanings that those mountains have from Scripture. And throughout the Bible, mountains have signified periods of uh, time, periods of stability, and periods of protection for God's people. And the events that take pl or took place on those mountains, there are opportunities for us to learn lessons. One of the mountains I want to briefly talk about is, uh, is the Mount of... Sorry, I'm flicking around here trying to uh, save some time. There you go. Um, is the Mount, Mount Nebu, which you may or may not have heard of. Mount of Severity, it's actually called. And it's from the top of it, you can actually see, apparently, the whole of the Promised Land, the whole of Canaan, allegedly. So it's no surprise that God used it when he was uh, with Moses and the Jewish race through uh, taking them through to the Promised Land. Moses offered his life in service to God, but there's one thing, just one sin, that stands out that Moses actually committed. And it was at the foot of this mountain. Uh, and it was in a place called Kadesh. And it explains, talks about it in a lot of detail in Numbers, in the Bible. But basically, God said to Moses, when he got to the shore uh, of the river, go over into the promised land and take the land. But Moses didn't do that. What Moses actually did was he actually got 12 people from the uh, tribes of Israel, and he sent them over to spy out the land instead. And the spies came back, and they said, it's full of giants. It's full of fortified cities. We can't do it. And they were fearful. So they didn't do God's will. Two of the spies said, yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can do God's will. We're, God is with us. 
but the rest of them spread discontent through the camp. And the whole of the Israel were fearful and didn't do what God had asked them to do. So God wasn't very happy, as you can imagine. But because of the relationship Moses had with God, God interceded for the, for the Israelites. So God still punished them, but not as severely as he was going to do. So he sent them back to wander around for nearly another 40 years until that whole uh, race of the people who disobeyed him had died out. And they came back after nearly 40 years, back to the bottom of this mountain. And God had said to Moses, you will not cross into the promised land. He told him to go up to the top of Mount Nebu so Moses could see the whole of the promised land. And when he saw it, it, he died. And he was buried up there. And it was the descendant, sorry, it was one of the two people, spies, that said, we can do God's work, we can do it. It was Joshua who took the descendants of those people across into the promised land. We serve a just God, a just God. He does not like sin. He doesn't want to punish us. He loves us. He loves us. But in the same way, parents sometimes have to punish their children to um, get them to learn the lesson. God is, is the same. We must never forget the severity of God which is not because God's mean. God absolutely loves each one of us, as we'll hear in a moment, how he's demonstrated that so many times. But it's because of our disobedience. And we've got every indication that Moses was considered just in the sight of God. But unfortunately, with forgiveness, sometimes it doesn't always take away the consequences of sin, as you will remember from the Garden of Eden. The final mountain I actually want to talk about is the mountain of olives. The mountain of olives. It's called the mountain of hope. Apparently from the top of there, some of you may have been up there, um, you get beautiful views of Jerusalem and the Jordan Valley. And the mountain received its name, no surprises, and it still is today, it's full of olive trees. And it's only mentioned, interestingly, once in the, New T- in the Old Testament, excuse me. But the Mount of Olives was prominent in the life of Jesus. Prominent. Bethany was on its slopes. So Jesus would have been very, very familiar with the Mount of Olives because of the times that he actually went to meet and be with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He taught his disciples there. He taught his disciples about... Oops, sorry, wrong way about this, about surely I, God, Jesus, will be with you to the very ends of the age. He taught, uh, he asked his disciples to go and find a donkey on this mountain for when he actually rode into uh, Jerusalem on it. He prayed on it. He sweated blood on it the night before he was arrested. He was arrested on it. Gethsemane is part of this mountain. He ascended to heaven from it uh, when he rose again from the grave. And in Zechariah, we're actually told that Jesus is said to return to this mountain when he defeats finally his enemies. And in Acts 1, we're told that 45 days since Jesus had rose, he'd appeared to many people telling them 
giving them convincing proofs that he was alive and telling them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was actually doing this with his apostles, he promised them the Holy Spirit. And as he was talking to them about it, Jesus was taken up into heaven and disappeared behind a cloud. Two men in white were stood next to the disciples. They just seemingly appeared. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, will come again. He will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've got an historical record of Jesus, his first coming. And in Revelation 19, we get a prophecy of him coming again. And let's very quickly just compare the two. In Jesus' first coming, he rode into Jerusalem on that donkey that was found on the Mount of Olives by by his disciples. When he comes again out of heaven, he's actually going to be coming on a white battle horse. He's going not becoming as a servant, meek meek king, as he was when he first came, but he's actually going to be coming as a conquering warrior, a heavenly warrior. When he is on earth the first time, he wore a, a crown of thorns, when he comes again, he's going to have multiple crowns, signifying that he is, the, he is and has authority over everyone and everything. His clothes, when he was here the first time, uh, when he was being crucified, were covered in blood, freely spilt for each one of us. When he comes again, he'll be wearing a white robe, dipped in blood, and his blood that signifies is spilt for us, but it is also symboling, symbolizing judgment, which he is going to bring. And finally, his claims to be a king when he came the first time were met with derision. The cross that he was crucified on had a sign on the top of it saying, this is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, um, king of the Jews. But when he comes again, his white cloak is going to have written on it, king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus will come again. He will come again to defeat his enemies and probably on this mountain, as it says in Zechariah. And he's coming again because he wants to dwell like he did in Eden with his people, with me and you in eternity. But the devil is real and the devil absolutely doesn't want you, doesn't want me to be dwelling in eternity with Jesus. He wants you and he wants me to be in the fiery lake with him. And he will do anything to get you in there, including stealing away your promises that the Lord has given you. In Jeremiah, he says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans, declares the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Don't let the devil rob you, because he wants to rob you of these promises. Don't worry. Don't fear Because if you fear and you worry, that is going to drive a wedge between you and God. And the devil will love to exploit that. I've got ahead of myself now. On the Mount of Olives, before Jesus ascended into heaven, I've mentioned already that he was talking to his disciples and he promised them the Holy Spirit. The kingdom will come with the Holy Spirit. And of course it it did. And today, 
not only do we have a God in heaven that loves and cares for us, we have Jesus, our Lord, interceding for us every day for God. We've got the Holy Spirit that indwells in us, close to you as your heartbeat is, guiding your paths. So it's not true that you're alone when you're going through difficulties, when you're fearful, and when you're worried. The, uh, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are with you every second of every day. And in Revelation, one of the last things Jesus says to John in his prophecy is this. He says, Holy Spirit and the bride, the bride of, of Jesus is the church. It's you. It's me. And he says to us, come, let him who hears say, come, and let him who is thirsty come. Let him who wills take the water of life. That is the eternity with Jesus, the water of life. Jesus commonly described himself as um, water and being the water of life. So today, will you accept that free gift? It's free because Jesus has died and paid the price on the cross for you and for me. And echoing Revelation 21 is this, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. And it talks about, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, that's whoever, it's not the person up the street or someone in school or someone in work, it's everybody, whoever, every single one of us believes in him shall not die but will have eternal life through Jesus. But remember our God is a just God. If you don't receive Jesus as your Lord in this life, you will face Jesus as a judge. But Jesus loves you and he loves me. He wants to spend an eternity with you. He died for you. He's as close to you as your heartbeat is. And he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. And he want, his love will carry you. So in conclusion, I just want to say, which mountain are you on today? Are you on the mountain of severity? Or are you on the mountain of hope? And I'm, if you're on the mountain of severity, it's really easy to get off it. It's really, really easy. And you just have to do two things in a prayer. You need to, one, acknowledge Acknowledge that you've done wrong through a, a short prayer. Acknowledge that Jesus died for you in that prayer. And the second thing you need to do is, is an action. Two actions, in fact. Tell him that you're sorry and ask Jesus to, to come into your life because he will if you do that. And I just want to say there is urgency with this. You know, Jesus might not come back in my lifetime, but he might. He might come back next week. He might come back this afternoon. So don't delay. Don't let the devil work in your mind to say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next year. I'll do it on my deathbed. Do it now. It says in the Bible that you do not know the time or the hour that I will come back. So we're going to sing our final song in a moment. And the prayer team 
uh, will be at the back of the church. And if you pray that prayer in your hearts through this song, and I hope in the name of Jesus that you do, it will be the best thing that you do in your life, believe me. It really, really will. Go and tell the prayer team. They would love to pray with you if you do that, or even pray that prayer with you at the back of the church. And finally, wherever you are today, whatever you've come into church with, you might be on the top of one of those mountains, you know, praising God that everything's so good in your life, but you might be actually weighed down with fear. You might be weighed down with um, terror. Jesus wants to take that away from you. He's given you, you, God is with you. He is interceding for you. He is closer to you than your own heartbeat through the Holy Spirit. Don't stand alone. We would love to pray for you. We would love to pray along with Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. God will take those things away from you. Don't stand alone, please. Let us pray for you at the back of the church after this song. Thank you very much.